Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to 2 Timothy, and let's go to chapter 2. We want to look at this topic, continue in faith. Now, Paul is in prison. We know that he's in Rome. It's his second imprisonment. And he writes these three epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. We know that they are called pastoral epistles, leadership epistles. Anybody that's ever been involved in ministry will go uh, through these particular uh, pastoral epistles. And the purpose is to encourage you uh, concerning the ministry. And so Paul had a particular desire here. Timothy was a good friend of his. In fact, he calls him the son in the spirit. Uh, Paul nurtured him. And Paul placed him there at Ephesus. He's the pastor of the church. And as Paul is contemplating, I believe the Holy Spirit has spoken to Paul that his time was near. This is his second imprisonment. And we know historically uh, that Nero had his head cut off. And so Paul does go home to be with the Lord. And so Paul sees it as an opportunity. I need to minister to Timothy and Titus, young pastors that need to be encouraged in this area. And now he comes to this short epistle, and he speaks about faith. Continue in faith. We begin in faith, now continue in faith. Now I want you to look last week, or a couple of weeks back, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 18. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction. In keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by... Following them, you might fight the good fight. Holding on to faith and a good conscience, some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked in their faith. There were those that started out in faith. And Paul uses the word shipwreck, that they were backslidden now, that they were leaving the faith. And so the encouragement have this mindset. He says to have a good conscience is to have a mindset in faith, to remain in faith, to remain in God's word. And so the encouragement in the book of Jude, and there's only one chapter, verse 20 and 21. Jude writes, but you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith. He says, praying in the Holy Spirit. And so holy faith is faith that uh, has set you apart. The word hagios is holy. It means to be set apart. Set apart from the non-believers and now consecrated unto God. Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. All this starts with God-given faith. And so Paul's encouraging him now, remain in faith, stay in faith. It is so easy to falter. And if we're living in the last days, how much more do we need to be encouraged to stay in faith, continue in faith? And it's so easy sometimes to falter, especially when we see the appetites of the world. Or we're going to be speaking about it again this morning, when the trials and tribulations come in my life. It just seems that it's easier to go back into the world and I can drown my sorrows in alcohol or in drugs or whatever it might be. 
And so Paul says, continue. I believe that Paul saw the struggles in Timothy. Timothy's a young man now. He's in his 30s, but still, he's going to be missing Paul. Paul's not there for him. And so my teacher, my mentor, my fatherly you know, figure, he's not there. And so this encouragement... And this morning, we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 13. This is 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse 1 as he begins now. You therefore, my son, and here's that intimacy. You therefore, my son, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This intimacy, this love and this compassion that Paul had for young Timothy. Even though he was, you know, in his 30s, he would be still considered a young man. He calls him my son. My son in the faith, continue to be strong. Be strong in this grace that God has given you. Continue to be strong. The word strong speaks of continue to be empowered in the grace, this unmerited favor that is in you through Jesus Christ. And so notice it's in Christ first that he gives you this grace. Now, I personally deserve judgment Paul deserved judgment. So did Timothy, and so did Titus. But this grace, he gives us grace, unmerited favor. It is such a beautiful place to be. And so Paul received this. He's encouraging Timothy. If we don't receive the grace of God, then the judgments of God will come. One commentary said this, be strong in the grace. What he's saying here in the Greek, the genuine meaning of the word grace is favor. Yet it is often implies an active principle communicated from God. And here's the example. The light directing how how, how for us to act. The light is Christ. The light directing how for us to act and power enabling us to act according to the light of Jesus Christ. And so, Timothy, be strong in the grace of God. Now, how are you going to remain strong in the grace of God? And that is to stay continued in in your faith that God's given you. And he's going to develop all that. Look at verse 2 now. And the things that you have heard, Timothy, you heard them from me among many witnesses. Uh, Commit these to faithful men now who will be able to teach others. And so the encouragement, Timothy, since you have heard And have this God-given faith from not just me, but many witnesses. Others besides Paul had shared the teachings. And Timothy, now commit this to others. Commission this or put into faithful men, trustful men, who will take this gospel of Jesus Christ, this good news, and to teach others. The Bible says to make disciples of others. Once we receive from God, then it's our desire, it should be our purpose and our drive, our goal must to tell others about this newfound grace, this newfound salvation, this newfound uh, love and mercy from God, this unmerited favor. And so as Paul shared, now he's encouraging uh, Timothy uh, to share. Now those of us that have been Christian long enough, You know you'll be challenged. You'll come to that place where your faith needs to bring forth the Word of God. There'll be people asking you about the faith that's within you, about the hope that's within you. And so bottom line, we have the answer. 
The scriptures teach that uh, maybe we'll be the only Bible that anybody uh, will ever receive. There are those that won't open up the Word of God. There are those that, you know, will not go to church. And so maybe you run into them. Maybe they're a friend, a family, a loved one. And now you're able to share Christ with them. In the Old Testament, we often see in the New King James the word begat. And -and so-and-so begat this guy, and that guy begat this guy. And so we see the Old Testament begin to develop. In fact, there's a phrase that I like, Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. These are the children. So sheep are going to begat other sheep. And so it's our responsibility. It should be our desire to share with others. I mean, somebody shared with you. Somebody shared with me. Why would we want to hoard that? Let me share with somebody. And for myself, when I come to Saving Grace, I went back to my workplace and I I couldn't keep quiet. I had to tell these same people that I used to drink with and that I used to do the drug scene with and do all the gambling and, and the carousing and cursing. Well, now I have this found faith. And I want to share with them. Now, oftentimes they don't want to hear. But God has given you a gift. And now we can share it with others. And so the encouragement to Timothy. Look at verse 3. We continue. You, therefore, must endure hardship. And so Paul knew exactly where Timothy was. Even though Paul had his own hardship being there in prison, this second imprisonment, he also knew that Timothy was going through hardship, pain. The ministry is never easy. You, therefore, Timothy, must endure hardship. And then he uses a beautiful term, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so this exhortation of love. Timothy, because you're saved, because now you're empowered with this faith, with this grace, with this love and mercy, and the Holy Spirit has empowered you from above. Here is the promise you will endure hardship. Not just the Timothy church, but anybody that's a Christian, anybody that's born again of the Holy Spirit. You come into this relationship, and there's going to be trials. The word hardship that he uses here, Timothy, you're going to undergo affliction. Timothy, you're going to undergo pain. Timothy, you're going to undergo suffering. Timothy, you're going to undergo trials. Nobody is exempt. Because you're a Christian, you're going to go through these things. Now, we don't mind. Listen, we're supposed to share our faith. Now, we don't mind sharing salvation with one another. I'm saved, you're saved, etc. But we don't hear Christians saying, praise the Lord. We share in your afflictions, Timothy. Praise the Lord, we share in your afflictions, Paul. We share in your trials, in your hardship. Paul did. He did exactly that. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, look at verses 8 and 9. We read last week, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, nor of me, his prisoner. Listen to what he says. But share with me in the suffering from the, for the gospel according to the power of God. Now listen, Paul, I was with you up to that point. But now you want me to share with the same trials, tribulations, hardships, and pain? You want me to be a co-laborer and suffer, suffering with you, Paul? This is what he's saying. And then he goes on, look at verse 9. Who has saved us and called us 
with a holy calling. The word holy, hagios, he has set us apart in this call. The call to salvation. But also for Timothy and for Paul, the call to, to service and ministry. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. And remember we shared this last week? Before time. Before time. In Jeremiah 1.5, Jeremiah, uh, God says to him, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Listen, this morning, God knew exactly uh, what you would be going through this morning. God know, knew in his heart already that our, our, our sister Sharon would be in the hospital at this very moment. These are trials and tribulations. God knows my trials. He knows your trials. God knows my sufferings. He knows your sufferings. God knows my hardships, and he knows your hardships. Before we were even born, imagine that now. God knows, church. Before time began. Now, listen to this beautiful verse. In the book of James, chapter 1, verses uh, 1, 2, and 3, and I just want to read it to you. We've read it many times. Now, James is the half-brother of Jesus. James, he calls himself a bondservant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he's writing to the 12 tribes that have been scattered. You read that in chapter 3 so beautifully. And what does he write to them about? Trials. He writes to them about the trials, the tribulations. Now, I want you to think, uh, the early church was, you know, plummeted by the trials through Rome. Rome afflicted the early church heavily. And so here's James writing, and then he goes right into verse 2. James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, I'm with Paul up to that point when he says, share in my suffering. I'm with James now up to this point until he says, count it all joy. No, James, you count it all joy. Why? Because it's not easy to go, to go through trials. But he is given a statement here of faith. You're a Christian now. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And then he concludes in verse 3, knowing that the testing, this is the trial. The testing of your faith is going to produce patience. And I've heard Christians for years, whatever you do, do not pray for patience. Because the moment you pray for patience, look at, Lord, I'm an impatient person. Lord, I pray for patience. And then people grab their ears and say, oh, watch out. Get away from that person. Because they're going to go through trials. You see, patience develops endurance in my life. That's what the translation is. Through the trials, God is building endurance. He's building stamina. He's building strength. He's building character in my life through the trials. There's a beautiful church in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. There's the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Now, those seven churches were actual churches in the time of the early church. You go into the back of your Bible, you see the maps, and you can pick out uh, the seven churches. Now, those seven types of churches were actual churches and cities, and those seven churches go throughout history. And he speaks to one particular church. It's called the church at Smyrna. Now, for us, you know, it's hard to grasp, it's hard to understand, but the church of Smyrna was known for their myrrh plant. The myrrh plant was a very fragrant odor, but there was something unique about the myrrh plant. In order to extract the fragrance, you had to punish 
that plant. They would take the leaves and such, and they had to crush it. And the more they punished it, the more they crushed it, the more they brought forth suffering to that plant, the greater the fragrance. And it's a known fact, church. The Christian, the church that suffers will grow leaps and bounds. You see, God has my attention when I'm suffering. God has my attention through sickness, disease, infirmities. God has my attention that once, you know, when we're in a hospital situation, okay, Lord, speak to me. When I'm going through that trial, look how many people are losing their jobs right now. How many people are, you know, losing their homes right now? And many of these are Christian. It's a trial. It's a hardship. It's a pain. Because, see, trials do two things in my life. As I go in through the trial, I'm either going to run to God or I'm going to run from God. And as I run to God, he has my attention. And, Lord, I give you praise and honor and glory. Lord, Lord, I don't like this trial, but, Lord, teach me through it. And bottom line, this is what was happening to the early church, the ones that were scattered. And so James says, count it all joy. And now Paul encouraging Timothy. You're going to endure hardship. Let's go back to our text. Look at verse 4. And then he just goes into this rendition. Remember, continue in your faith. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself or herself with the affairs of this life. That he or she may please him who enlisted him as a soldier of Christ. We're in an army. We're in the army of Christ. And so here's a warning as a soldier of Jesus Christ in his army. If you entangle yourself, listen, if you entwine yourself, if you involve yourself in the affairs or the transactions of this life, the affairs, the transactions of the things of this world, be careful. Because you will never please the one who called you uh, to be his soldier. We're to be separated from the world. We're different. The Bible says that we are a peculiar group. Jesus recruited me. Jesus recruited you. He called you and he placed you into his army. So did he recruit also Paul and Timothy and Titus and so many others. You were not recruited into the world, but you were recruited from the world. And the world basically has nothing to offer anymore. There's a beautiful passage of Scripture. I want you to write it down. In John chapter 17, verses 16 and 17, this is called the high priestly prayer. Many people always refer to the Our Father as the prayer. But the Our Father, if you look at that, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. These were instructions how to pray. But when you come to John chapter 17, I would encourage you, read that beautiful chapter. It's all about Jesus praying to the Father. Jesus praying to the Father about himself, that he was going to die on the cross. Jesus praying to the Father concerning those in the world. Jesus praying to the Father concerning those that are his, the believers, the followers in Christ. And in John 17, verse 16, it says, They are not of the world. These are Christ's words. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You see, we're in the world, but we're not part of the world. In verse 17, Jesus says, Sanctify yourself. 
He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Set them apart, Father. And so we're in the world, but we're not part of the world. We're here to please God. We're in this great army. And God has called us a soldier of Christ. Let me give you two verses. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, it's the great faith chapter. In verse 5, God took Enoch to heaven. We know that he was raptured out, harpazzled out, because Enoch, listen, he pleased God. In verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so, Timothy, continue in faith. Church, this morning, if you've come to saving grace, continue in faith. I like what he says here in Hebrews eleven six: 6, without faith. It's impossible uh, to please God. You see, the Holy Spirit showed Paul the example of the Roman soldier. Historically, now listen to this, uh, the legionary soldier among the Romans were not permitted, listen, to engage in farming, to engage in merchandise, uh, to engage in the mechanical employments, anything that might be inconsistent with their call as being a Roman soldier. They were soldiers for Rome, first of all. Nothing else. We are soldiers for Christ. Nothing else. Oh, we're in the world. We have to go to school. We have to go to work. We have to deal with family, friends, loved ones. We're in that world, but we're not part of it. Don't become entwined. Don't become involved in the things of this world. And the enemy is so quick. Now, it's interesting. Paul uses analogies that would be understood remember he spent two years already in a roman prison the bible tells us historically we know that paul was chained and so even though he was in house arrest there was always a shackled portion of paul he was usually shackled to at least one guard and what was interesting that paul would minister to these guards and they would often have to change guards Imagine, they would change guards, and then that guard would go back uh, to his other station, and then he would begin to share Christ, and they would put a new guy, and Paul loved it. So how are you doing? We're going to be chained for a while. You know about Jesus? And before you know it, he got to witness to them. Usually they were chained to Paul for four-hour intervals. Now here's the key. We're soldiers of Christ, not just Sunday morning. What about this afternoon when you're going to be breaking bread maybe with non-believers, even though they're family and friends and loved ones? What about tomorrow at work or at school or at play, whatever it might be? You're going to be a soldier of Christ, but now you're going to be in the midst of them. And we're not putting them down. They need to come to saving grace also. But don't become entwined, entangled. Don't become involved in the things of the world. That's interesting. If you go to Ephesians chapter 6, Paul speaks about the spiritual warfare. And in that spiritual warfare, Paul uses the picture of the Roman guard. And he speaks about the helmet of salvation. He speaks about the, uh, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And so Paul turned that around. And he says, man, you are a soldier of Christ. Many of the soldiers that were shackled to Paul, that were, you know, placed as, uh, that's your duty now. They came to saving grace. Now let's go back to our text. Look at verse 5 now. 
And not only does he use the analogy of the soldiering, the Roman soldier, but now he goes to the athletic field. And uh, the Olympian games were very popular. So he says in verse 5, And also, if anyone competes in athletics... He says he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules and the regulations. Now, we just uh, celebrated the Summer Olympics, and, you know, we're, we get engrossed into them, and, you know, everybody's into the, the swimming, and then after that, we're into the field events and such, and, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, it takes us over. Well, how many medals do we have? How many medals do they have? But, you see, that's all temporal. Oh, they make a lot of money today. It's not even about the medals. It's about the endorsements after. It's about the, you know, being placed on a Wheaties box. And you know you, you're set for life. This, this Michael Phelps, he's set for life financially. But does he know Christ? Does he know Christ? And so the Christian, the true believer in Jesus Christ, such as Paul, such as Timothy, must follow God's rules and regulations just as an athlete. We're to obey the word of God. Look at the athlete. He does it to win a crown. The word athletics here is the word Stephanos in the Greek, and it means a crown. And so in the times of Paul, they looked for this laurel wreath, and they would place it upon them. And, you know, you're the victor. And you would be standing above everybody else. And that laurel wreath eventually would wither away, dry up, and eventually they, they threw it away. But there were perks in those days as the perks today. Basically, if, if you won an Olympian game in the time of the early, early Olympics, uh, your family was set for life. You were set for life. Rome took care of you. And so Paul uses this analogy here. But that crown is going to fade away. But what about the crown that we look forward to? The Christian crown, there's basically about seven crowns. I would encourage you to look those out. But we speak about the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory. Their reward is not a crown that will fade away or eventually wither and die. But our crown is called the crown of life, the eternal crown of life. That lasts forever, eternity. In James chapter 1 verse 12, in Revelation chapter 2 verse 10, it speaks about this crown of life. Now listen to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 25, we receive the imperishable crown. I like that. Now God gives us crowns. And imagine getting into the kingdom of God. You've got your crown. Some of us uh, might even gather the crown of martyrdom. But what about the crown of life? The crown of righteousness. Man, to be held there in the presence of God. Well done, thou good and faithful service. That crown will not fade away, church. Let's go back to our text now. Uh, look at verse 6. And then he goes on to the analogy now, not just the athlete, not just the soldier, but now he goes to the farmer. He says the hardworking farmer must be first uh, to partake of the crops. And so, Timothy, continue in your faith. 
last week, you have this genuine faith. Continue in your faith. Press towards the mark, the prize of the hawk the high calling, which is Jesus Christ. Now, the farmer works hard, and he too partakes of the harvest. God sustains him and his family. God does and will sustain his servants. I love what Pastor Chuck says here in verse 6. He says, we can't really minister his word to others until we first are partakers of his grace, his salvation, his mercy, his love, his faith. How can I teach grace unless I have first received his grace? How can I teach on mercy and on love unless I first have received mercy and love? How can I teach on faith unless I first have also received that faith? So, Paul's relating it to faith. I can't use faith. I can't stand on faith unless I first have received faith. And so Paul encourages Timothy, continue in faith. Timothy, you have already taken the victory in Christ Jesus. You're heaven bound one day just like I am. But continue in faith. The Bible speaks of our Christianity as a race. But nowhere in the scriptures does it say to win the race. You see, who wants to come in second? I mean, you see the guys in the platform. You see the girls in the platform and for the Olympics games there in Beijing. And, you know, the gold medal's everything. They don't stand there the same when they have a silver. In fact, they probably hate being up there. They want it to be over with. I didn't get it. I lost by that much. That's not even talk about the bronze, the bronze medal. Hey, why'd they even let you up here? They're not going to put you in no Wheaties box top. But you see, we've already won, church. The victory is ours through Jesus Christ. And so the farmer partakes. We partake. And God sustains us even through our trials, our hardships, our pains, because he's taken the victory. Now, verse 7 he encourages further, Timothy, consider what I say. And may the Lord give you, I like this, understanding in all things, Timothy. Timothy, consider what I have shared with you thus far. Now, last week, Paul reminded uh, Timothy, remember your roots, your mom, your grandmother. Uh, they put that genuine faith in you. And now this week, Timothy, continue in faith. Remain in faith. Continue in faithfulness. He's encouraging him because in the last days, and they believe they were in the last days because of the, the oppression of Rome. In the last days, those that will be part of the great falling away of the faith. We're seeing it today. Some of you know family, friends, and loved ones. I know pastors that are no longer in the pastor, no longer serving God. I hear of deacons and elders that, you know, were diligent, and then they go by the wayside. We have to finish the race. It doesn't say win the race. And sometimes you see a new Christian, man, they, they leave the starting gate, and they're out there. They're witnessing. They're witnessing here, witnessing there. They're giving Bibles away. They're going to every Bible study possible. Let me ask this. Where are they 20 years later? 
You know the old story, the tortoise and the hare? Come on, the tortoise was consistent. And that's what we need to be. It's not who wins the race. We've already won, basically. But it's who finishes the course, who finishes the race. When we get to heaven, I want to hear those words. You want to hear those words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the glory of God. But I like what he says here. May the Lord give you understanding. The Greek is interesting. May the Lord exercise your mind, Timothy, and all the things of God that I have taught you and others have taught you, that the Holy Spirit has taught you. You see, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is my teacher. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit uh, will lead me and guide me into all truth. Uh, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will bring all things to my remembrance. Those of you that have been part of the church for a time, you come on Sunday mornings and you receive from God. You come on Wednesday nights and we, or we're going through the Old Testament and you receive from God. I'll tell you, you spend a year with us and you don't miss a Sunday or a Wednesday, you're going to learn from God. And you'll be surprised the things you're, you're taking in. You'll be surprised the things the Holy Spirit is storing in you. And when the time comes, you're deathly afraid. I know the first time I had to witness this, you're afraid of rejection. But don't forget this. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. I never forgot my, one of my best friends. The first time he went out to witness, he was all excited. He had a pocket full of tracks. And the first guy he went up to, just when he went up to him, the guy was lighting a cigarette. And he goes, hey, I'd like to give you a Christian track. And the guy lights a cigarette, and the match is still on, and my friend's jabbering away the tracks there. The guy lights the track on fire. <laughs> Wisdom, my friend says. See this track? That's the way your soul's going to be unless you receive Jesus. Guy kept smoking. <laughs> but, you know, Some of you have family, friends, loved ones. They're never going to open a Bible. The Bible says we're walking epistles. You're the only Bible they're going to see, they're going to hear. And you have the answer. It's not boasting. You have the answer. You remember the first time you finally did share with somebody? And you were kind of scared. You prayed real quick. Maybe you called your wife, your husband. Maybe there was another Christian. Hey, pray real quick. I'm going to share with this guy. I'm going to share with her. Four and a half hours later, you haven't shut up. That's the power of God's Holy Spirit. You're able to share. And so, consider what I say. And may the Lord give you understanding, Timothy. Understanding. There's a beautiful psalm that are going to go. It's going to go with verse 7 here. In Psalm 1, it's just six ver verses, excuse me. The psalmist says, right in the middle of, of the psalm, meditate day and night on his word. Meditate day and night. I mean, we all watch television. We go to the movies. We, we have work. We have school, whatever it might be. And, you know, but there's those times, you know, learn to meditate upon the Lord. I mean, if you've already surfed the channels 14 times and nothing good's there, shut it off. Or put on the Christian station. Get your Bible out. Start to meditate on God's word. Oh, but I want to watch Psych. I want to watch Monk. I want to watch this. I'm telling you all my shows now. 
Meditate on the Lord day and night. Look at verse 8. Enough of me. Now let's talk about you guys. Look at verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according, he says, to my gospel. I like this. Oh, the doctrine of the resurrection church is the core of Christianity. The doctrine of the resurrection is the core of our daily walk. You see, many have claimed to be Messiah, but only one has risen from the dead. It is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The Bible says he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he makes intercession for me. Now, I want you to turn here. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let's pick it up in verse 12. But let me set this up. If you've never studied 1 Corinthians 15, it is the doctrine of the resurrection. We need to know and to understand the power of the resurrection. In fact, Paul's going to tell the church at Corinth, if we just have hope in Christ, if we just have faith in Christ, and he did not resurrect, then we are men and women most miserable, pitied. We can go to church the rest of our life. We can give of our tithes and our offerings. But if Jesus did not raise from the dead, we're all men, women, most miserable. But the power of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 starts off so beautifully. Over 500 witness the risen Christ. Listen, you cannot fool 500 witnesses. Over 500. And they saw him for a 40-day post-resurrection. Then after that, the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven, and then 10 days, and then Pentecost. And the power of the Holy Spirit fell upon the early church there in the upper room. The 120 were never the same. The Bible says that Peter was empowered by the Holy Spirit in his first sermon. 3,000 came to saving grace. The mother of Jesus was there in the upper room. She had to come to the born-again experience, and she was also baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. But look at 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. Verse 15. Moreover, that moreover than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead do not rise. He continues, watch verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's empty. It's in vain. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, and the word fallen asleep in those days uh, in the early church, it spoke of those that had died, that had fallen asleep in Christ, they're lost. They're just dead. If there's no resurrection, then he brings it together in verse 19. If only in this lifetime we have hope in Christ. Well, I hope he died. Well, I hope he raised again from the dead. If I only have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied or miserable more than all men. You see, church, the Bible says that Jesus was born in a manger. We're going to be celebrating that 
by the end of this month. But Jesus was born to die. We know that he was buried. And we know that on the third day, he rose again. Now, back in 1995, I had the first opportunity uh, to go to Israel. And we did the tour. We were with a bunch of pastors. And for me and for the majority of the pastors, there were about 40 of us. And when they took us to the empty tomb, they took us to the garden tomb. And right next to the garden tomb is the hill of Golgotha. It's believed where Jesus was crucified. That hill of Golgotha is, is very eerie. It has the cutout. It looks exactly the hill of the skull. It looks like a skull. Now, it's eroded through the years, but you can still see it. And naturally, there in the garden tomb, they take us in uh, to the empty tomb where Jesus was supposedly buried. It's called Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. Now, we don't know if that's the actual tomb. It looks very well that it could be because the, the hill of Golgotha is right there. That would have been Mount Moriah. And it says that Joseph took him to his own tomb. Anyway, we walk in there. And there's this eerie feeling. And I don't like to go by emotions and, and by feelings, but the tomb is empty. Obviously, the tomb is empty. And, you know, I, I love the story of the resurrection. Joseph of Arimathea comes and takes Jesus' body, placed Jesus in the tomb, and Jesus only needs it for three days. Joseph, you can have it back. Can you imagine, church? If there's only hope in Christ, then we're all men and women most pitied, most miserable. But because of the power of the resurrection, you have the opportunity to come to saving grace, and you have a changed life in Christ Jesus. Continue in this faith. Let's go back to our text. Look at verse 9 now. For which I suffer trouble. And so Paul takes it back to his imprisonment there at Rome. But look, at he called those Roman authorities the evildoers. He goes, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, he says, even to the point of chains, but uh, the word of God is not chained. So remember that Paul's in his second imprisonment, in a Roman prison, a house arrest. But he says the evildoers caused him affliction. They considered that Paul was the evildoer, but it was them that were the evildoers. They caused Paul affliction. These authorities in Rome, we know that Paul was shackled, even though it was house arrest. And then Paul's testimony while in his trials, but the word of God, listen church, the word of God was not chained, was not chained. I visited Christians enough times in a hospital bed, hospital situation, hospice, and it's a pleasure, it's a joy to see a Christian, they know where they're going. And man, I'll tell you what, they're witnessing to the doctors, they're witnessing to the staff, they're witnessing, you know, to the nurses. Anybody that comes in, they're going to witness to them. And I'll tell you what, I've been to enough, uh, you know, deathbed situations, and usually there's two uh, in a room. And I like when I go to pray for somebody, and you see the other guy in bed one, and they're rubbernicking, they're like, what are they doing? And we pray loud enough, you know. And if you do go pray for somebody, don't leave that other bed out. Ask them. 
hey, I just came to pray for my friend here. Do you mind if I pray for you? Nine out of ten times, they will say yes. Had a lady tell me, well, I'm Jewish. That's okay. I'm Mexican. I go, let me pray for you. <laughs> the opportunities are there. For which I suffer trouble as an evil evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God, the word of God is not changed. It's not changed. God's word's never changed. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, Paul, in writing to the Philippians, he speaks about his chains. He speaks about his imprisonment. And he says here in verse 12, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You mean my trials, my afflictions, my hardships, your time in chains and imprisonment? It turned for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Verse 13, so that it has become evident, listen to this, to the whole palace guard. These were the Roman guards that were coming to saving grace. These were these Roman soldiers. And to all the rest that my chains are in Christ Jesus. Many of the soldiers we know came to know Christ. In verse 14, he concludes, And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident or their assurance of my, my own chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Revival because of Paul's suffering. Now, uh, we know that our prisons and our jails are overcrowded. But you know what? Praise God that his word is in there. Right here in Doniana, uh, the jail ministry, Chaplain Bean, he's been in there for years. He's a good chaplain. And they got chaplains over here in southern New Mexico correctional facilities. Wherever you go, praise God, there's always chaplains there available. God's word. They might be incarcerated, but God's word is not incarcerated. And many come to know Christ because of their imprisonment. And sometimes... That's the best place for them. They can't hang in the world. Now let's go back to verse 10 in our teaching. And then Paul goes back, Therefore, therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. Now I believe the elect here are the Jews. He says, I endure all things for the, the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul says, I endure. Listen to the, uh, the translation. I bear, I abide, I undergo, I persevere all things, even the trials and the tribulations, for the very elect. The salvation is first to the Jews. But because they've rejected, it's been given over to the Gentiles. In Romans chapter 1, excuse me, verse 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greeks. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, and I want you to pick up on this. In verse 17, Romans chapter 1, the just shall live by faith. The just 
shall live by faith. Now, the whole purpose, Paul says, my salvation in Jesus Christ is the results of eternal glory now in heaven. But the faith, the just shall live by faith. Years ago, Martin Luther struggled in his walk. He was a monk uh, for the Catholic Church, and he tried every which way to gain his salvation. He tried every type of work, and it wasn't enough for him. And as he came to Romans chapter 1, and as he came to verse 17, he was set free, church. You ever been sitting there reading the scriptures, and then something just comes out to you? And Martin Luther read, the just shall live by faith. He was never the same after that. Never the same. And so therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Eternal glory. Now let's go on with our text. Look at verse 11. And Paul says to Timothy, For if we die with him, we shall also live with him. Timothy, continue in this faith now. And then he shares something, you know, radical to him. He says, we must die. And he's speaking about dying to self. We must die to self in Christ Jesus. And then the Bible says, take up your own cross and follow him. I will never... I will live forever and ever with him. One day, I will be glory bound. Paul was, Timothy was, Titus eventually was. You will also. We will be glory bound. All because of the resurrection. I have life, life eternal. Now he says here that we're going to go through these things. If we die with him, we shall also live with him. In John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus writes, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And so Jesus had to die. You see, in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, if there's any other way that this cup of death can be taken away. If not, let your will to be done. Jesus prayed that three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus had to die to give us life. You see, animal sacrifices was not sufficient anymore. The blood of Christ was the only sufficiency. And so here, Jesus had to die in order to produce fruit. We also must die in order to produce fruit. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul writes that God gives each man, each woman, listen to this, a measure of faith. How much faith do I need? Jesus said to have mustard seed faith. Jesus said to have faith like a child. Childlike faith. What does faith incur? You call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. It takes faith to say that. It takes faith to believe it. What if somebody is coming 65, 75 miles an hour, another vehicle is coming the same way, jumps the medium, comes head on. 
What is the reaction of most people? Oh, my God. Was that enough for their salvation? Are they crying out to God for salvation? Those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Look at verse 12 and 13. We're going to conclude now. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, listen, he also will deny us. So we have to continue in faith. We have to remain in faith. And we're going to endure. We're going to endure. The word to endure, we're going to persevere. We're going to abide. We're going to stay. We're going to persevere in faith. In Luke chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, Jesus said, Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before man, him, the Son of Man, will also be confessed before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So God leaves it in our camp. We can deny him. That's up to you. He's going to deny us if we deny him. It's cut and dry. He comes to the conclusion of verse 13. If we are faithless, now listen, it goes coincides with verse 12 now. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So prophecy is going to prevail. There are those that are going to be faithless, non-believers. But he, Jesus Christ, remains faithful. He's believing because he will not deny, he will not reject himself. The father had a perfect plan for his only begotten son. He must die to give us life eternal. You can believe that or not. It's still truth, and truth will always win over evil. Timothy, continue in faith. Church this morning. Take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. Remain in faith. Stay in faith. Now we're going to conclude. Maybe somebody's here. And you come to church. You might attend this church or you might attend another church. My place is to let you know. Have you given your life to Christ? Well, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time. I was part of this church. I was part of that church. I have my name in a ledger. Here's my point. Is your name written in the book of life? That's all that counts. You see, we don't have a ledger here at Calvary Chapel. We don't have any books and says, you're saved, you're not saved. Is your name written in the book of life? Timothy came to saving grace. Paul came to saving grace. Titus came to saving grace. Peter, James, John, Jude. I mean, the list goes on. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she had to come to saving grace. There would be those that would argue with you, but according to what I read in Scripture, she had to come to saving grace. The Bible teaches, are we born again of the Holy Spirit? How can I continue in faith if I haven't first come to Him? So let's end. Let's stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, thank you, Lord. For your goodness and your grace, your love and your mercy. Lord, Paul encouraged Timothy so much. Continue in this faith. And Lord, this morning, I pray that each one of us are Christian, truly born again of the Holy Spirit. But maybe somebody's here and they're not sure. And I beg you by the mercies of God, don't leave here not knowing. Don't second guess. Don't think I'm saved but come to saving grace.
with every head bowed, every eye closed, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, I'm going to ask you to come to Saving Grace, not to Calvary Chapel or to Pastor Bob, but right there where you're at. I'm not going to ask you to walk up to the front, but right there where you're at. If you're not sure and you need Jesus, I want you to raise your hand and I'll say a simple prayer of faith. Anybody here this morning? I see your hand way in the back. I see your hand right here in the front. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? I see your hand right here, ma'am. Thank you. Anybody else would like to come to Saving Grace? I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to us in clarity. Several hands have gone up. But if you're not sure, don't leave here without Jesus. Anybody else would like to come to Saving Grace? Praise the Lord. Then let's pray for those that raise their hand. Father, what a joy to come into the kingdom of God. To come into the kingdom of God by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Oh, Lord, hear the cries of these that raise their hand, Lord. Lord, you know their hearts better than anybody else. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know the heart? Only Jesus knows the heart. Father, these hands that went up, I ask you, Lord, as they stand before you, I ask you to forgive them of their sins, Lord. Cleanse them and wash them, Lord, even now, Lord. Lord, wipe away all their sins because of the precious blood of Jesus. Wipe away their sins, past, present, and future. And Lord, welcome them into the kingdom of God. Father, baptize them now in the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, give them a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Give them a hunger and a thirst for your word that they would never be the same. Lord, bless them now. And Father, for the rest of us, we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to engulf our lives, our very hearts. Lead us and guide us into your truth. Lord, bless your church this morning. Father, bless the offerings. As you've given to us, we give back a portion. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And we all agree by saying amen.